Good morning and welcome to the assembly. Why don't you go ahead and stand with us for worship? Stronger, the king of love. 
today, Jesus. We're thankful, so thankful for your considerate, careful, considerate attention to all the details, every detail of our lives, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you for your presence. We're so in awe of you today. Can we together lift him up one more time? Worshiping with you each and every week. I just want to give you a chance before we um, take a seat, if you would, turn around and greet someone. Take a minute to connect with those around you. Well, good morning, church. Hopefully you've had a good week. As Pastor Barry said, my name is Chris. I'm the student pastor here at the assembly. And Pastor Ron and his family are out on vacation. And so if you're watching this, Hello, we love you. We hope you're having fun. Let's give a hand to our pastors that lead us every single week. They're incredible. Just feels cool talking into the virtual intergalactic world. I don't really know what that means, but we're live right now, so hello. Um, Well, I know Pastor Barry introduced me, but let me tell you a little bit about my family. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Megan, who's down here on the front. I'm going to try not to embarrass her or anything by saying stand up, but she's down here. And so we've been married for five years and we have two incredible boys, Grayson and Maddox. Grayson is three years old and Maddox is six months old. And all weekend they've been spoiled, rotten by grandma. Um, And all next week they'll be spoiled by grandma. Because my mom is in town this week, uh, because my wife and I, some of our leaders and students, tomorrow afternoon, we actually leave for youth camp. And so uh, we're excited about that. I love youth camp. Uh, When I was 15 years old, I was called to ministry while I was at youth camp. And so it means a lot to me. Uh, And so most of you know my story. I didn't grow up in church. I gave my life to Christ when I was a freshman in high school. And then my sophomore year in high school, I was called to ministry. And so youth camp means a lot. And so I tell you that uh, for this reason. Be praying for us throughout this next week. We're believing God to do great things in our students' lives. And so uh, keep us in your prayers. Before we get started, I want to share with you a quick story of how God is moving in and through the students' Of our church. Check this out. Just this last Wednesday night, I got this text from a young man who's going to be a senior at Union High School next year, and it said this So tonight was the first time I've ever attended anything church related, and I'm really glad that I did. While you were talking, I just felt a really amazing feeling take me over. It's the best feeling I've ever had. I don't really know how to explain it, but I don't want it to go away. I just really appreciate that you guys let me be a part of your event and made me feel welcome. I'm really excited for next week and hope that I can use what you talked about to be a better person. Thank you so much. How cool is that? Can we give God some praise for that? I love to share stories like that with you as much as I possibly can. I know that it's encouraging for me, and I hope that it's encouraging for you as well. And I love it not only when our students understand the importance of inviting, but they actually do it because oftentimes life change happens after it. 
And so, so good, so good. And uh, just on a side note, you thought I probably forgot. Pastor Barry probably thought I forgot. But hey, do not sign up for the, power, the, for the Pastors 50K team, okay? Sign up for our team. Uh, you all know that students, we work hard. Come on, students. We work hard. We'll outwork the pastors any day of the week. And so make sure you sign up with our team. So this morning, we conclude our AD series in the book of Acts and Pastor Ron has asked me to speak from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible here in a moment, it'll be on the screen. But I want to start off by saying this. Normally, when this text is preached, the focus is on Peter and John, which we're about to read about. These two guys are in this story. Normally... This text is preached about Peter and John, and for very good reasons. Why? Uh, Peter and John, what takes place in this story, actually launches them into their ministry. And not only does chapter 3 continue talking about that, but 4, 5, and really, as I said, I mean, the entire book of Acts continues because this launches them into their ministry. And so, I tell you that because I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't read it, you haven't put focus on how cool this story is. Check it out for yourself. But this morning, I want us to focus on the man that gets healed in this story. I want us to put our focus on there. We're going to draw our attention on him this morning. And so, pay attention. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Then all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the same man who used to, say used to, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. What we've just read is the first recorded healing miracle in the book of Acts. Pay close attention. Something very special, something very noteworthy is about to unfold before your eyes. Don't miss this. Don't skim over this. Lock in because first things are very critical to teaching us concerning the ways and patterns in which God works in. Pray with me. Jesus, speak to our hearts this morning. God, just as you approach us boldly, as you've made the move by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, God, may we run to you with boldness. Father, touch our lives, touch our hearts. God, touch our bodies. Do what needs to be done this morning. 
God, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. The title of my message this morning is, The Struggle is Real. The struggle is real. This is a phrase, it's a popular phrase, oftentimes used by young people that will typically say this following something that's not really a struggle. For example, Sonic is out of the new nerd slushes. The struggle is real. Or, my Netflix won't load. The struggle is real. Just this last week, my wife and my two boys were out of town and they were meeting their new niece and, 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 and so they were gone for about nine days and a lot of people know that I have this running joke that when my wife is out of town, I pretty much live on cereal. And uh, I think most young adults who are, you know, most young guys that are married probably, that's maybe the same story for you, but uh, at one point while they were out of town, I ran out of cereal. And uh, the first thought that came to my mind was, the struggle is real. The struggle was very real for me. Didn't have any cereal or anything like that. Didn't have any food to eat. Sometimes I ate at breakfast, lunch, dinner. No joke. I promise. I just changed up the cereal. Made it seem like it was a new meal. It was awesome. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Uh, with all of these things, it's like, no, that's, that's not really a, a struggle. Like, you're worried about paying your mortgage and your student is worried about Sonic being out of nerd slushes and Netflix not loading. And the struggle is real. The reality is, even though that phrase is said with things that are pretty insignificant, there are a lot of things that we do need to understand that I think we can take from Acts chapter 3 that really indicates the struggle in all of our lives is very real. Whether you're an adult or a student, all of us are against some sort of struggle. And the Bible makes it very clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Essentially, the Bible tells us the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And in Acts chapter 3, we come across the story of a man who's experiencing a very real struggle. For starters, if you're looking there in your Bible... The Bible never even mentions his name. The Bible never tells us his name. In fact, he's not known by his name, but he's known by his condition. Come on, we've all been guilty of this at times. Maybe we see someone, we don't know their name, we don't really know what they're going through, and we name them by their condition. Maybe it's something physical, but maybe it's something else. There's that frustrated person. There's that bitter person. There's that person that has unforgiveness. There's that person that's addicted to this or that. And this man in Acts chapter 3, he's not known by his name, but he's known by his condition. And they look at him and the stigma of how he was born, what happened in his life that was unfortunate, that was out of his control, that was without question something that no human should ever have to deal with. And the thought in those days was this. He'll never work. He'll never marry. He'll never have a child. 
And he'll never even be allowed to go to church because Leviticus chapter 21 would forbid someone with that issue from going into the temple or the house of God. And it even brought shame to his family because it was attributed to the sin of the parents for why this man had this disability. But Peter and John now know that's not true because of what they learned earlier from Jesus in John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 which says this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. But I think we can all agree at this present moment, for this man, the struggle is real. This is an individual that has no legs, no name, no life, unless you call begging a form of life, no God, and no hope of ever being healed. So what does he do? He settles for a handout. For 40 years, four decades, every single day of his life, a group of people carry this man to be laid at the gate called Beautiful to beg for money. 40 years, four decades, every single day of his life. Jesus would even preach a sermon on Solomon's porch about a hundred feet away from where this man was at. And this man more than likely would have sat just an earshot away from that sermon that Jesus preached that caused such a riot that those that heard him tried to kill him. And you might remember this is just one of the many times that there was an assassination attempt on Jesus's life, but Jesus, this time, escapes in the midst of them. This man would have been at the gate that you walk through to get to the temple, to the house of God. Religious people pass by him. He listened to religious prayers, and he watched religious activity every day for 40 years. The implication was this. Even God is not interested in someone like you. It's not that he made the choice. I mean, it's one thing that because of his disability, if he would have decided to be bitter or angry or say something like or have an attitude like, there's no way there can be a God that that would allow for something like this to happen to me. It's one thing if he would have made the choice to not believe or it's one thing if he would have made the choice to be upset with God. That's one thing, but apparently... Apparently, he doesn't even get the chance to make a decision on how he feels about God or make the decision that he's going to find some type of purpose and he's going to overcome this and he's going to trust God through this and he's going to, you know what, maybe if he has to live with this, he's going to use it as a testimony to God's goodness. No, 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 no. He doesn't even make the choice. Apparently, religion, religious people, religious rules, And religious institutions were very clear. God's not interested in you. Your condition disqualifies you. The struggle is real. In this man's mind, he's incurable. What has happened to him is irreversible. And he's irredeemable. The struggle is real. 
And now rumors are out all over the city that this man two months earlier by the name of Jesus Christ has been crucified or executed unjustly. He was innocent, but the rumor continued from there. And all the religious leaders are constantly trying to cover this rumor up that three days later Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, after this two months has passed, we move into Pentecost and Pastor Ron in in this past weeks throughout this series has talked about what Pentecost is and now the city is bustling with people. There's people everywhere. It's like New York City, New Year's Eve, Times Square. The Bible says every nation, every language, tens of thousands of people are right there for Pentecost. This incredible feast that's going on. And the Bible says that Peter stands up during this feast. He preaches and 3,000 people get saved. And the inauguration speech of the New Testament church happens. The New Testament church is kicked into gear and miracles begin to take place. All kinds of people are getting saved. They're turning towards Christ. They're following the words of the apostles. And all of a sudden now Peter and John are walking through this gate called Beautiful. At this point of the story, Peter and John are around the age of 30 years old. And when they were younger... They would have walked through this gate with their family every single year, about three times a year. So more than likely, they would have seen this man who's been there for 40 years every single time they walked through that gate on the way to the temple. And as they were younger, they were probably intrigued or curious about why this man was there and what happened to him. And this man would have been pretty hard to avoid because those that begged were very aggressive And even today, if you were to visit the Wailing Wall, those that beg are very aggressive in their begging. And the thought for Peter and John, as most every person that walked by those that were begging, was this. Don't look at him. Don't speak to him. And whatever you do, definitely don't touch him. Maybe you felt this before as you're driving and you come to a stop and there's someone by your vehicle that's in need. And maybe your first thought is, Don't look at them. Don't talk to them. And whatever you do, certainly do not touch them. And just as we still have those natural feelings today, maybe, that's what Peter and John were thinking when they passed by these that begged each and every single day at the entrance to the temple court. And they ignored them. They tried their best to have this mindset It says, keep on walking, keep on walking. Their parents probably said, just keep on going. Don't look at them. Don't talk to them. Don't touch them. (laughs) Why? Because we all know that if you ignore the struggle, it eventually goes away. If you act like the struggle doesn't exist, then surely you're not going to end up dealing with the struggle. But the struggle is real. The struggle was there every day for 40 years. And so now Peter and John, two months after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Pentecost, after the upper room experience, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, they're walking through the gate called beautiful for the first time since they've experienced all of these acts of God. They're walking through and, and they've experienced all these great things. So now everything is different. Now everything has changed And we're about to experience the first healing noted in the book of Acts. So pay close attention to the story as it unfolds. If you have your Bible and you're looking, look at verses 4 through 7. 
This time, instead of ignoring the situation, instead of aggressively passing by and acting like the man in his struggle does not exist, this time, the Bible says in verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Maybe you missed it. You see, normally... The thought for most every person that passed by this man, including Peter and John when they were younger, was don't look at him, don't speak to him, and definitely don't touch him. But I see in verse 4, Peter looked at him. And also in verse 4, Peter said to him. And in verse 7, taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up. This time, Peter and John do all three. They look at him. They speak to him. And they touch him. You see, at this very moment, Peter and John are representing the very heart of God. They're carrying out the heart of God here on earth. This is God's heart. God sees you. God wants to speak to you. And God wants to touch your life. And the story continues, and suddenly after Peter takes him by the hand to help him up, the power of God touches this man's life, and a mind-blowing, impossible-to-ignore-or-avoid miracle happens. And the Bible says that he begins to jump up and praise God. And now, all the onlookers, all the ones who put Christ on the cross to be murdered, are staring. And they recognize this man. Remember I said earlier, used to. They recognize this man as a man who used to. They're looking, and they're in awe. They're in wonder. They're in amazement. They recognize that this is a man who had no legs, no name, no life, no God, no hope of ever being healed, and who had a very real struggle. Now all of a sudden, this man who had no life is now filled with life. Who had, who had no God is now filled with the spirit and power of God. Who had no hope of ever being healed is now filled with hope and healed. Who had a very real struggle now has no struggle at all. What has just happened to this man was a result of what happened just two months earlier. Everyone that was there at Passover would have been able to look from the temple to see on Calvary's hill three crosses. And and they would have known that the one in the middle was a rebel. The one in the middle was a revolutionary who claimed to be the son of God. And there the savior of the world was crucified and died once and for all for the sins of mankind. They would have been able to see that those three crosses, that one in the middle, claimed to be the Messiah. The Savior of the world. Remember the text I mentioned earlier in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. It said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
once this incredible miracle takes place, there are people everywhere watching in amazement. And, and Peter takes this as an opportunity, as a moment. And he begins to preach Jesus. And the Bible tells us that 2,000 people are added to the church that day. Your current struggle might be meant to display the work of God. The problem is most Christians settle with their struggle. Your current struggle might be meant to display the work of God. The problem is most Christians settle with their struggle. They settle because they look back to something that happened years ago, sometimes decades ago, and it should have never happened. It should be different, but it's not different. And now they're defined by their struggle. And they have conversations with themselves that sound maybe something like, if that would have never happened, who could I be? What could I have done? That abuse, that abandonment, that betrayal, that divorce, that unfortunate thing that went down, that struggle now defines us. And we live our whole life thinking about what could be. I'd like to ask the band to make their way to the stage at this time. We live our whole life thinking about what could be. The struggle, we settle with it. And we wonder, what could I have done? Who could I be if it weren't for this struggle? The good news is there is no struggle that's too great for God. Jesus still reconciles all things, renews all things, and restores all things. And the great thing is, you don't have to beg for it. Jesus sees you with whatever struggle it is you're going through this morning. Jesus sees you. And I believe not only does Jesus see you, but Jesus wants to speak to you. And not only does Jesus want to speak to you, but I believe that Jesus wants to touch your life. I don't know what struggle you walked in here with this morning. But I know that God is real. And that God wants to do something in your life. There is no struggle that's too great for God. The price has been paid. There should never be someone who thinks about the cross and settles with their struggle. Settles for something to define them that happened years ago. The thing about Jesus is that he paid the price in full. Which means you don't have to go through life thinking about how great things could be. You don't have to go through life restricted to a partial fix. You know what I'm talking about. You're saved, but bitterness still eats away. You're in church today, but unforgiveness consumes your mind. You love God, but addiction still resides. It's time to go from help to healing. The Bible says that every day, this man was carried by a group of people to go beg at the entrance of the temple gate. Every day, people carried this man there's no doubt this man had some incredible help but this man needed a healing and you might be going through life right now and help is awesome help is so good I encourage help help is so important for the life of a believer but this man needed healing this man needed the power of God to move into his life like he'd never experienced before. The Bible 
says, Peter and John said, John said something very clear to this man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Here's how I want to pray for you. To marriages in this room that have been in a struggle. To people that are struggling with their children. To people that are struggling in their relationship with God. Trying to overcome past mistakes. Or whatever struggle it might be for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. God sees you. God wants to speak to you and God wants to touch your life. You don't have to settle with your struggle. For this no-name man, it was his legs that God needed to touch. And I don't know what it is for you, but I believe God wants to touch your life this morning. So here in a moment, as the worship team begins to play, I'd like to invite you to join me here at the altar in our prayer team. We'd love to pray with you and agree with you in prayer. But maybe you're in here this morning. And you could say, Chris, I need God to touch my life, my marriage, my kid, whatever it is that you're needing from God this morning. I want to ask you here in a moment, just meet me here at the front. Maybe you're getting great help, but you need healing. I don't know. Maybe it is physical. I don't know. Maybe it's something spiritual, mental. I, I don't know. Maybe it's relational. I'm not sure what it is, but you say this morning. I want to pray for God to touch my life. God sees you. God wants to speak with you. God wants to touch your life. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to make your way here to the front. And our prayer team would like to pray with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're here you say... I want God to touch my life this morning. I see you. I see you. Jesus, do what only you can do. There might be someone in here that walked in this morning that's thinking to themselves, I don't belong here. I don't I shouldn't be here. But Peter and John knew the heart of God. And they saw this man. They recognized him. And they spoke to him. And they touched him. The heart of God. He wants to do the same for you this morning. If you're here, I want to encourage you to join people who have already came up here this morning. As the worship team begins to pray, I'd like to ask for our prayer team to find someone that's here at the front, our pastors, to find someone that's here at the front and front and begin to pray. Maybe if you like, as the worship team begins to sing, maybe you didn't come down. I'd like to invite you to come down and, and pray yourself. Or maybe you want to join someone else in praying. I encourage you to do that. But right now, I'd like for us all to stand to our feet as we go into a time of worship.
I encourage you. The Bible says that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. There's power in the name of Jesus. I encourage you, pray with the name of Jesus. And I just wanna do this real quick. For those of you out in your seats, those of you that are down here, continue praying. But those of you out in your seats, if you could just bow your head and close your eyes one more time. I, I just wanna do this real quick before we end. Maybe you're in here this morning and you wanna connect or reconnect in your relationship with God. Maybe you're not living for Jesus at all. You never have, or maybe at one point you were living for Jesus, but you no longer are. If you're in here this morning and you're honest enough to say, Chris, I want to connect or reconnect my life to Jesus this morning. I want a fresh start. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand if that's you. I want to reconnect my life to Jesus this morning. Let me pray for you, Jesus. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you, Jesus, that you not only see us, but you want to speak to us and you want to touch our life. God, as we receive the goodness from you, God, help us also to take this and walk this out for those who do not know you. Let us never be one who says we're a follower of Jesus, but yet we ignore those who do not know you. Help us to be Peters and Johns when we see people in a time of need, in a place of need, that we just don't walk by ignoring them as best as possible and that we think to ourselves, don't look at them, don't talk to them, don't touch them. But Jesus, when we see people in their moment of need, God, we would have a heart just as you do for each and every one of your children. God, we love you and we thank you for what you've done this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us this morning. Have an incredible rest of the Sunday.